welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. This last several days, a little over a week, has been a bit different, somewhat challenging for this ordinary Catholic. Oh, it's been regular life stuff. I mean, I know I still live in a place, a nation, where suffering imposed by one human being in power on another who has none, like gulags or torture or wholesale murder of populations, has not yet descended upon us in its evil fullness, except, of course, with regard to the abortion industry. But the shadow of such things is everywhere these days. One can feel it approaching. An example is how our leaders, specifically our prosecutors of crimes, have been declawed by their political kings so that violent criminals are allowed back on the street immediately after having done their conscienceless deeds. So, this past week, a young woman, her name, by the way, was Brianna Kupfer, 24 years old, was working by herself in an upscale furniture store in my own general area when a man with a criminal history walked in and stabbed her to death for no reason. The usual mitigations will be offered, but there are just some things for which a society should not allow mitigation to outweigh evil and not to impose responsibility. This was a preventable death in a world which claims to care about public health and safety, but which is selective and wildly inconsistent about where that care is applied. Comparatively, my own little inconvenience this past week was nothing, just an inconvenience. But also, it was so unexpected, something that was, if you had asked me about it before it happened, impossible to have happened in its particular circumstance. Truly, it was nothing more than a little accident. But what distressed me was just how random the small moment was that told me how vulnerable I am every moment of the day, and everyone else for that matter. Sure, I know that. I've always known that. But knowing and experiencing are incredibly different. And then comes the cascade of thoughts about the future, and all sorts of examples pop furiously into my brain. In the last 10 to 15 years, for example, I've spent a great deal of time with people about 20 to 25 years older than me who are passing from independence to dependence, which in many cases they would have claimed was never going to happen to them. Some had families either alive or in the area, some did not. But when their independence was compromised by sickness and old age, in more cases than one, I would like to consider, they were caught unprepared. And in fact, they found themselves led, as the Bible says, where they did not wish to go. For myself, I've tried to prepare, as it is clear I am on my own. I have some remaining family, but each has his or her own crises and responsibilities for another, who is not me. And so the pounding of, quote, what happens to me if? There are lots of ifs. There are nothing but ifs. I know that these small, up to tragic events are not something that God ever 
does. He allows them, sometimes, as in the story of Job, in the most dramatic ways, with no intervention. And we surely can say that in our history, even our recent history, lots of people have ended up dead without a seeming intervention of God, usually at the hands of other human beings. That lack of intervention may have made Job more holy than already he was when he was prospering, but when it comes to me and the rest of us, I worry about whether holiness will be the outcome of such greater and lesser evils, which in fact seem to be a mark for the success that the devil had with tempting Eve. My car is in the repair shop, and that will be the case until next week. I've been helping in the church office of my parish the last few days in the afternoons, as my pastor knows that I'm not a morning person. Actually, these days I've been waking up early and taking care of personal things like this podcast subject, so I've not been idle. And I decided that I would walk to and from the parish without renting a car for the period. It's a walk of about maybe one and a half miles from my home. As my phone tells me, 8,150 steps round trip. Part of that walk is lovely in an historic L.A. neighborhood, but there comes a point where that loveliness dissipates into an area where many stores and restaurants are closed now, their storefronts decaying as no one is renting, where graffiti covers many windows and paint is peeling and old advertisements glued to the walls are falling off. The smell of pot is virtually everywhere in these areas. I am always, I'll use the word amused, as in ironically amused, by the panic concern over tobacco smoking as I take in the skunky stench of secondhand pot apropos perhaps of nothing. I had a grocery delivery about two weeks ago from a very lovely woman. The packages that she brought to me, however, reeked of pot. I wondered what her car was like and thought about the danger of someone driving in a haze of pot. There may be many abandoned restaurants, casualties of the haphazard approach to protecting us all from COVID and the inevitability of death, but there are sufficient pot stores still in business and a sufficient smattering of stores like the Circus of Books and one with a lovely window of sadomasochistic costumes. Near a convenience store parking lot, crunched in a depression in the sidewalk, I see a man sleeping. He's curled up in a fetal position. He has no shirt. His hair is black and matted. He's using detritus, including what look like wood planks as a blanket. There's another horrible inconsistency in noting the promises and the money thrown at the promises of shelter, but which never appears to get to this kind of man and the claim that he has a right to be on the street to preserve his dignity when I look at him lying like a dead man on the sidewalk. In a world where cash is now frowned upon, I happen to have just a little in my pocket. I tuck a $5 bill amid the stuff by his head, afraid to touch anything near his head. I hope he'll find it when he wakes up. I don't tell you this to curry favor because I'm feeling futility. I shake my head at the idea that a $5 bill is going to do anything for this guy's suffering, but I'm not going to engage him since he likely has some psychological issues and I'm concerned 
particularly in light of recent events, for my own well-being, my physical well-being. As I walked, I had one of my lately frequent thoughts of it being time for me to leave California and find a small town in nobody cares where, middle of the country, where anonymity isn't quite so painful, at least for now. But then there's the weather here in California, which is hard to beat, and I've gotten used to my little residential space with a terrace where I've been restricted the last two years for the most part. It's a little like a hermitage in that it is separated from the visual sadness and I can contemplate or pray if I am so inclined. We'll talk more about that in this sort of seemingly safe location in a precious sample of the insanity which has befallen us in my view. I know not shared by many, but also shared by many, I am thinking. As I'm walking down a residential block on my way home one day, I'm not wearing a mask. I don't wear a mask outside. There has been no mandate for such outdoor mask wearing since the early days of the pandemic lockdown, but many people here in Los Angeles particularly still wear masks, where the panic really took root more than, say, in Tennessee or Florida which, by the way, have not dissimilar numbers of cases and deaths. But I am for wearing your mask if that makes you comfortable, even after this pandemic, this particular pandemic is at end. I was approaching two older women wearing masks. I noticed that when I was well more than six feet from them, maybe 20 feet from them, they very deliberately turned sideways, as if they were pretending to look at the apartment building on the other side of the street. I thought, well, maybe they really are looking at the apartment building across the street. I knew I would know for sure as I passed them and saw whether or not they stayed in that position. Sure enough, they moved as soon as I passed. I am today seen as a leper probably was, someone to avoid. I have seen on my walks people walking into the street to avoid me. I am someone to effectively disparage with societal approval. And here I am, allowed to walk in the street without a mask, at least for now. Apropos of nothing, perhaps the UK has gone back to a normalcy of sorts by ending their restrictions, including masks, at least government restrictions. What people will do in stores and other places of business is hard to know, but as I understand it, you're no longer guilty of some kind of crime if you don't wear a mask in England. Meanwhile, as to me, of all the evils in the world, in my very neighborhood, I've committed the evil of not wearing a mask outside. I thought, what if these two little old ladies had real power? What if they could have me arrested for not wearing a mask as I walked down the block? What if, worse, they had a weapon with which to enforce their fear of me, the other? And then I've been told to keep my office door locked because someone with less than kind motives might come in and do harm to me, as that poor young woman in the furniture store who now has no future. I have to keep what ought to be a welcoming place locked. For a long time, oh yes, we had crime and things of that nature, but for a very long time, the United States didn't experience these things. But it's become like molten lava oozing its way towards us and consuming us little by little. Lord, what are you permitting here? I know, sin, free will, cooperation. We have all these things in our hands merely to accept 
that you have restored our relationship with you and for us to act accordingly. But I can't see it in half or more of the time. I can't see it precisely when I need to see you and trust in you, even if the outcome is the most tragic. My favorite rendition of the passage in Matthew chapter 6 during the Sermon of the Mount is that as spoken by Robert Powell playing Jesus in Jesus of Nazareth. There was something about this actor's voice speaking Jesus's words in making the promise of God. Powell uttered Jesus's words in such a loving and measured tone, truly conversational, utterly simple. Therefore, I say to you, be not solicitous for your life, what you shall eat, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat, and the body more than the raiment? Behold the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? And for raiment, why are you solicitous? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They labor not, neither do they spin. But I say to you, that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed as one of these. And if the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, God doth so clothe, how much more you, O ye of little faith? Be not solicitous, therefore, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the heathen seek. For your father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Seek ye therefore first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall be added unto you. Be not therefore solicitous for tomorrow, for the morrow will be solicitous for itself. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. I used, as you probably heard, the Douay-Rem's translation, which to my mind is more poetic than the standard we use, equally perfect for purposes of hearing the gospel and hearing the letters. But notice that this translation uses the word solicitude, whereas the standard uses the word anxious. So I did a search because I sense there must be a difference between anxiety and solicitude. It feels as if there is a difference. I did the search solicitude versus anxiety. Did you know that there's actually a site called Wikidiff? Well, Wikidiff told me the following. As nouns, the difference between solicitude and anxiety is that solicitude is the state of being solicitous, uneasiness of mind occasioned by fear of evil or desire for good, while anxiety is an unpleasant state of mental uneasiness, nervousness, apprehension, and obsession or concern about some uncertain event. The way I read this, solicitude has more of a point in its worry, in its anxiety, which is fear of evil or desire for good. They are synonyms with nuance. Well, truth be told, I, and I'm assuming you, have both versions of the terrible sense, either together or separately, all the time. As to me, my biggest fear is my reaction to the uncertainty 
or to the thing which befalls me. My reaction is always about fear about the evils and how I will respond to them. My constant fear is that I will respond like Judas and not Peter. My truly holy friends, and I'm happy to say I have at least a couple, would refer me, among two other things, to the divine mercy or to the litany of trust. I happen to have the litany of trust tucked into my prie and uh, I'm going to read it because it's something that you might find useful. From the belief that I have to earn your love, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that I am unlovable, deliver me, Jesus. From the false security that I have what it takes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute, deliver me, Jesus. From all suspicion of your words and promises, deliver me, Jesus. From the rebellion against childlike dependency on you, deliver me, Jesus. From refusals and reluctances in accepting your will, deliver me, Jesus. From the anxiety about the future, deliver me, Jesus. From resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past, deliver me, Jesus. From restless self-seeking in the present moment, deliver me, Jesus. From disbelief in your love and presence, deliver me, Jesus. From the belief that my life has no meaning or worth, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of what love demands, deliver me, Jesus. From discouragement, deliver me, Jesus. That you are continually holding me, sustaining me, loving me, Jesus, I trust in you. That your love goes deeper than my sins and failings and transforms me, Jesus, I trust in you. That not knowing what tomorrow brings is an invitation to lean on you, Jesus, I trust in you. That you are with me in my suffering, Jesus, I trust in you. That my suffering, united to your own, will bear fruit in this life and the next, Jesus, I trust in you. That you will not leave me orphan, that you are present in your church, Jesus, I trust in you. That your plan is better than anything else, Jesus, I trust in you. That you always hear me and in your goodness always respond to me, Jesus, I trust in you. That you give me the grace to accept forgiveness and to forgive others, Jesus, I trust in you. That you give me all the strength I need for what is asked, Jesus, I trust in you. That my life is a gift, Jesus, I trust in you. That you will teach me to trust you, Jesus, I trust in you. That you are my Lord and my God, Jesus, I trust in you that I am your beloved one. Jesus, I trust in you. Friends are so right to refer me to these sorts of things, to these prayers. It is the only way. I know that. But the anxiety or solicitude pervades even as I am in my little corner with my prie deux and the icon of the Sacred Heart is in front of me, or I'm sitting in my church looking at the San Damiano cross and the tabernacle below it. In fact, call it the devil meddling, as I think perhaps he is, but the sense of anxiety or solicitude is worse sometimes, I'm going to admit this, while I am praying, and the restlessness invades worse than at any other time. I'm being really disclosing here of an emotional response of this ordinary Catholic. He doesn't give us more than we can tolerate, I've been told, and I believe it, but it surely seems that I can tolerate very little. That's why the words of this litany, in particular of the phrases, really do resonate with me. 
one of the ones from the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute. As I'm praying, sometimes I'm having that very fear, a kind of, what if I trust you and it doesn't work out, as it probably will not work out? Is my trust therefore in vain? Well, the answer, of course, is no, but the response is reflexive. There's a little group of nuns called the Sisters Servants of Mary, Ministers to the Sick. I've mentioned them before in this podcast. I'm a member of their supporting guild because it is donations alone that keep them going, literally, in helping the sick. They are nurses, and they go to homes of people who can't afford round-the-clock care or an institution for the sick, and they spend nights with them so that a family can sleep or take time to regenerate. They do it for free. Whenever any one of them is presented, as often they are, with the danger of there not being enough money, not only for their ministry, but for the very survival of their convent, each of them will say, quite simply and with absolute trust, God will provide. And they say it with a smile. They're not even considering, as I would be doing, what if he doesn't? And if I said that to them, I'm thinking, even in the most dire of circumstances, they would say that his very presence suffices. I remember a priest I admire telling me that with prayer and cooperation in God's will, there would in fact come a time when something big or small befalls us. And at that moment that I would actually have developed in my spiritual growth in such a way that I would laugh without the fear with God in acceptance because He is, in fact, there even at our worst and will in a way that I don't understand and don't really need to understand protect me in the most essential of ways. But my feelings, which after all is what anxiety is about, get in the way even as I am praying to be spared from them because effectively that is what I am doing. I am praying to trust God utterly which hopefully at some point at his time will dissipate the fear and the anxiety. I am praying to engage in an act of will, the act of will in trusting God when what I see mitigates utterly against that trust. But going back to my discussion of Ibsen's brand a couple of podcasts back, What kind and whose will? Trust certainly involves my will, but it involves it only insofar, it seems to me, as I am choosing his. The act of will on my part in abandoning myself to him is latching on to his will. I know this as surely as I know anything, and yet I do not trust. One way is the way to heaven. The other is the way to despair. It's that crucial. What to do? There seems only one thing. And the most important time to do it, to pray for trust, and I'm talking to myself now because I could walk away from this podcast today and not do what I'm about to say. At that moment when I do not trust, when the fear is enveloping me, which I have come to believe is how the devil accesses me, how he has always done so. 
I'm certain I'm not alone in that, but I can only speak for myself here. I'm positive. And when I am afraid, I take things into my own weak hands and out of God's strong ones. The time to pray for the trust that I do not have is when I do not wish to. Grace is being poured on me in that moment. I don't feel it necessarily, but it's there. God's grace is there. And my job is to keep myself in my chair or on my knees, on my prie-deux, and or at church, and stay even as something in my mind is saying, go away, run away, you can't trust. I was just thinking of something as I've been walking to my church office. A couple of times I would be walking along with nothing particular in my head, and then it suddenly occurred to me, you know, this is a good time to do the rosary. And I would begin to do it. And I would get distracted by something I saw on the street. Oddly enough, I realized that during my distraction, I had somehow continued to say either the Our Father or the Hail Mary, so much so that I couldn't tell you how many I had actually done, but I was pretty sure that I'd gone well over the 10 of any particular decade. It seems that if I make praying habitual, something I have not achieved, then at some point I'll have the access, the key, if you will, to abandonment and to trust. Again, the time for me to pray for trust that I don't have is when I do not wish to. Just as the time to do this podcast today was precisely when I did not want to. And so ends a kind of rambling episode of the podcast, Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I know people are enjoying it. I see that I get hits, and I'm very pleased about it because I do this program for myself in an effort to try to become more holy and to reach heaven. But also, I like doing it, and I like offering what thoughts I have for you in your struggles and hope that we'll struggle together and be hand in hand as we reach heaven together.